2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. In this episode, I'm talking to Margot Villeron about her literary novel, The Yellow Kitchen. Margot is a French born, London based writer and translation rights agent. She is a self taught cook and co host of the Salmon Pink Kitchen Book Club culinary community and podcast. In this episode, we talk about the freedom and pleasure of writing in a second language, how she used her own diaries to write about the political landscape of 2019, and the unusual way she inhabits her characters, by texting herself in character. But before we get into that, here's Margot with an excerpt from The Yellow Kitchen.
3: On Sundays, we bathed. We ran a long bath, squeezed all the leftover soaps from the ending week together, Weezed our hands through the water making bubbles, shy laughter emerging from my tiny body, and a nodding smile shaping on my mother's face. I hopped over and into the foaming bathtub, a welcoming warm lagoon for me, and then a cold puddle for maman. She sat on the ice-cold tiles, topless, her hair roughly held up with a clasp, and red Jack London's The Call of the Wild to me as I submerged myself in water. She never missed a Sunday dimanche soir was the one moment when the world would turn around us as we granted ourselves intimacy. Wet hair curling down our backs, her teeth hardening, my freckles melting into the redness of my body after meeting with hot water, and Maman's blue lips afterwards, our memories, a family album in the making. It was then that I noticed the different shades on her, on her body. Bags under her eyes and bruises inside her forearms. Bruises from the long work shifts, Bags under her eyes as a result of the food in the fridge that eventually got eaten and the bills that accumulated on the wooden desk in the entrance. And me, petite Claude. Maman was alone, responsible for my aliveness. There was no rest left for her, only worrisome nights, knitting me woolen armor. Now she has retreated, with sleepy eyes and a few words left for her battles. And I move on, instincts alert, expectations high, the call of the wild. He was mastered by the sheer surging of life, the tidal wave of being, the perfect joy of each separate muscle, joint, and sinew in that it was everything that was not death, that it was aglow and rampant, expression life in movement, flying exultantly under the stars and over the face of dead matter that did not move. I often hear small whispers in my ears, as my hands meet with flour, butter, and eggs as I whisk.
2: Hi Margot, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel The Yellow Kitchen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited
4: and really happy to be here.
2: So can you start by telling us what The Yellow Kitchen is about?
4: Of course. Uh, the Yellow Kitchen is a story of three women, Claude, Sophie and Julia, uh, as they battle through kind of being in their 20s and the crazy year 2019 was and it's it's their story those three women their friendships and the thing they say to each other and probably as well the things they don't say to each other but they guess about each other Um, so maybe a bit of a story of coming of age and and a story of friendships really and and of culture and identity.
2: Mm. Do you remember what it was that inspired the novel and and how that kind of idea came to you was it something you've been sitting with for a long time?
4: Mm-hmm. I think it's something maybe I have been breathing for a, for a long time it was you know I actually was writing as things were happening and I think that's that's an example I was quite aware of what I was doing it was really contemporary around me I, I was writing in 2019 as the novel was was evolving and And I had been in London then for four or five years. And, you know, I was reading a lot about Brexit. I was reading a lot about how London was changing, Um, how, you know, we were seeing the French leaving London more than any other people. And I was like, that's weird. I haven't noticed that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it was kind of how the media was kind of speaking about Brexit and how we were performing it in in our everyday lives. and I kind of feel that disconnection because that's probably just an individual re- response to it. But as a person, I kind of always think, but, you know, what happens behind closed doors? What, what is the effect of all of this on, on the domestic, on the friendship, on the everyday? You know, what happens when when you are here and you've been living in, um, in the city, or maybe you were born in London and you go and meet your, your Italian friends at night for a drink? Do you acknowledge Brexit? Probably not. But if you don't, you know, it probably anyway comes through your your conversations and your your the way you're going to be interpreting what they are saying and all these kind of things and I was really interested by by that kind of texture of the everyday and how it was being affected by everything we were living um little did I, did I know though that 2020 was about to happen to us <laughs> so if it's a little even more like mind-blowing what I was what I was doing without being aware of that um so I guess yeah there was an inspiration of kind of wanting to talk about these things but through maybe just through the small things of the everyday and how how all the politics of life kind of come through at home and around the table and in friendships.
2: Yeah, because it's inevitable that it would come up into conversation and really shape their friendship, even if it wasn't acknowledged. And I was wondering, obviously, it touches so deeply on topics of Brexit and 2019 election um, and also events that are happening in mainland Europe. How did you kind of approach that political undercurrent? Because did you did you think it was quite, a I don't know, a controversial topic to explore? Did you think that maybe there'd be people that were hesitant to read a novel that kind of touched on those topics?
4: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that that worry of like maybe people not wanting to read about it came later when I actually thought... This is going to be published. Um, as I was writing it, I was more, I was more feeling actually quite strongly about it, and for it was, it was quite important um, because I really, I really do think that it does, it does have some shadows to everything we do, and even though maybe we don't want to talk about this or we don't want to acknowledge it, it's quite important to do so at some point. Um, and that's just why I love the most as well about about reading and about novels. I really strongly believe in the power of novels, actually, in bringing those kind of conversation up in a more organic way in the in the everyday. And I felt I felt that was quite quite important. So, yeah, i I did make a decision to do it. and i I knew I knew I was going to please everyone, and I know I couldn't. But at the same time, I don't think that's what writing is for. Uh, so that's okay.
2: Yeah, you you can't please everyone. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like for you to go back and edit this book then? Because I imagine a lot of the editing was done during the pandemic, during uh, kind of lockdown. And when, when you, 2019 was further away from you, how did you kind of go back and make sure that the kind of conversations and because I imagine when you were editing this, all anyone wanted to talk about was um COVID-19 so how did you kind of transport yourself back to 2019 to to make sure that you were I know you wrote the majority of it in 2019 but how did you kind of go back to make sure you were being true to the time
0: Mm
4: um well I I haven't very big diarist, so I do have a lot of everyday details of 2019 um, and observations and I remember reading a lot uh, when I would take the tube to go to work, you know, those days when I was going to work every day, um, as to an actual office space, and I would just sit on the tube every day and do this exercise of just writing what was going around me, so I have pages and pages and pages of Word documents of everything I have seen in the tube for probably the last five years, um, which are just an encyclopedia of life, really. Um, So I would have all these kind of details, but also I'm just fundamentally quite introvert and lives in my head a lot. So I have to say disconnected from everything around me and going back in time is an exercise I quite enjoy doing. Um, But the the editing part is quite fun. There there are a few things I've had to change. They weren't going to Lisbon until quite later in the process because Lisbon is the last place I went before the pandemic. And quite frankly, I knew I was going to be able to travel for a long time. And I needed to visualize the the space Mm. and I had recent memories of it. I had recent photos of the place. They were supposed to go to Greece in my head at the very beginning. Uh, um, and I was supposed to go to Greece in May, 2020. Uh, that did not happen. So, you know, they were like kind of small detail that had to change through through the process um, because logistically I couldn't quite make the research uh, or I just couldn't transport myself. But anything that involved me going back in time, I, I could do. I spent a lot of time reading the news back in time as well. And um, the Guardian often tells me, be careful, you are reading this ar- an article from over three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed doing that.
2: It really shows to me in this novel that, I mean, it totally makes sense to me now that you've kept this amazingly detailed diary, because your observations are so accurate and so nuanced. I mean, the kind of conversations that your characters have with other people, with other friends, um, they're all quite um, kind of left-leaning, but there's various kind of differences in their opinion. Um, and it totally makes sense to me now that you're a very um, observant person in the world and you're making all these notes about... Conversations or people that you've met on the tube, and um, suddenly clear to me now how you write. <laughs> I was wondering whether you could tell us a little bit more about the three women in this novel um because friendship is just so important to them. um We've got Claude, we've got Julia, we've got Sophie. Could you tell us a little bit about each of them and how their kind of dynamic plays through the novel?
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, I think they are very different women. What unites them is that they all see friendship as a form of family. They've, they've all needed to see friendship as, you know, the family you choose uh, in different ways. You have you have Sophie who was born and raised in uh, in London and um, has had quite a difficult relationship with her parents because they've just been quite absent. Um, maybe self-centered is the way of, of saying it. And she has had very um, good, com- comfortable material life, but she hasn't had as much emotional support. And then you have Julia, who I've been living all of her life in Bologna and has had a very loving family despite their kind of quirkiness and um and issues. But you know, she's always been really, really supportive on that side and always made made to believe that all her dreams can happen if she puts her mind to it uh and so hope she moves to london with the view to get this this job and you know start a career and live abroad uh, and she's there and claude and and sophie just become her family while she is there um and you have claude who is this quiet force really of of herself she she goes home and she bakes a lot she she's always there for her friends but she hasn't had much of of support in her life. She, her mama has caused severe severe uh, mental illness and it's been only the two of them, you know, she was right by a single mom. And I think that is a very peculiar force to have in life. Um, and, and it really shows in her independence and she's always seeking that. And that's her biggest pride, but also probably her biggest issue than what Rory's her the most. So they're all there and, you know, they have those emotional baggage are so different. Um, but in the free, in their kind of free sum, they have they found a form of family and a network. And one of the things, of course, that unites them is food and their
2: central, well, the beginning scene takes place in this beautiful yellow kitchen. And so many of their moments where they're all together is usually where they're eating. I was wondering if you could sort of describe how food plays a role in their lives.
1: Mm hmm.
4: Well, it's you know it's it's the unifier again. It's it's a time to it's a time you have to sit down and be together. Um, I think I think one can be avoidant if they don't want to talk about a subject with their friends if they're at the pub, you know, it's loud around, or if they're on the phone, or you know, you can just ignore someone, sadly. Um, but once you are at the table, it's quite hard to ignore a conversation you don't want to be having. We can circle around passing the salt. We can speak about the taste of the dish for a very long time, but at some point you will have to speak about that subject you've been trying to avoid. Uh, and I think food is just such a such a good way to to dig and to investigate into a relationship between people. So as much as you know they get busy and maybe they don't want to speak about everything or address issues. They always reunite around food. Uh, that's that moment where there is no, there is no going away, and it brings both comfort, builds also some bigger problems. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your kind of the, the
2: methods you have to create your characters because it felt like they were incredibly fully formed women, very fleshed out. And I was wondering what kind of work you did outside of the text, whether you're someone that kind of really feels like they have to know their characters before they start writing or did you feel that your their kind of personalities backgrounds came to you quite easily as you were writing or was it something you kind of put a lot of work into before you started writing
4: mm-hmm. thank you I'm, I'm, I'm glad you you found them fully formed uh, because they really are to me uh, <laughs> I actually I miss them quite a lot um, and I yeah I hang out with my characters a lot. I I take a lot of notes in life in general, but actually about the book I write, I take very, very little notes. Um, there is something that make it too frozen in time. I don't know uh so i I tend to just live with them a lot. i am a big runner. I run quite a lot uh, pretty much every morning, and that's when i I go out with my characters and we have chats and um and that's kind of the initial work I would be doing when I start working on something. I just hang out with them, do nothing else. just hang out, hang out. I will start, um, that's when it gets a little bit weird. Uh, I will start texting myself as if I was them. Sophie and Claude have been texting each other a lot in my head and then in my phone, uh, which I hope never, ever gets stolen. (laughs) Um, And um, the one detail I always know about my characters and I can't quite explain why also that, that's just the very thing I just do in my life for myself as well is I will know when they're born I will know their astrological sign and while I'm writing I tend to read the horoscope a lot Um, pretty much every week I will read it and uh, you know I don't, it's just for me a way to, to be aware that they exist Uh, and that they're not just in my head they have also people looking at them uh, if that makes sense because I think that's the hardest part at some point is for your characters that you're writing, for them not to just be seen for your perspective, because you might have a certain opinion of them, but that's, that doesn't define them. That's just how you see them. That's not who they are. Uh, and I find that's the hardest part is to actually to accept to just let, let go of the, the version you have of themselves and just let them be what they would be even if you weren't there in the room anymore.
2: I've never heard anyone using kind of star signs and their birthdays and things to inspire their creation that's so interesting and I love this idea of kind of seeing them how other people see them I think it's sometimes hard when you're so I mean we're all when we're writing kind of in our own heads about it um, but it's kind of removing ourselves from it and trying to see them because I think the only way to make them fully formed is to kind of think of them as real people so maybe we should all start kind of texting ourselves as our own characters
4: yeah of course I think that's the hardest thing as well right is because if they start becoming people they will start disappointing you as well
1: Mm.
4: and I think that's where I know that I start to really they start to be people is if I start you know writing something and being like oh for fuck's sake claude like you know <laughs> if i'm like, just yeah. being like oh my god or if i text or something and i'm just like this is so annoying like literally if if you were my friend i would be quite quite annoyed that you know I now but i wouldn't tell you and that's how <laughs> I start, like okay okay they're becoming someone that's fine they're not just in my head they're not just a version of me or something like that they, they are becoming their their people
2: did you find that then they were kind of almost talking themselves without you having too much impact I know some people have found that they're almost just like a, a vessel for their characters to speak through
4: yes absolutely um my my best friend with whom I run a, a book club and a, and a podcast very kindly interviewed me when we released um the when i published the yellow kitchen and it was really interesting because she reminded me that the thing i kept saying when i was writing it because she would ask me you know are you planning what's going to happen next and i kept on saying oh we see where they take me next <laughs> and that's really become um i think my motto and uh and what i'm trying to to keep doing as i i try to write more and even in different forms, trying to see where 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 this will take me next and where they will take me next. And it might not be where I wanted them to go, but they want to go there, so let's do it.
2: Even though you didn't kind of plan it in that way, did you still have a, a kind of vague sense of where you wanted the book to end or kind of where you wanted them to end up? Because um, hopefully it's not too spoilery to give away that we don't move into 2020 pandemic world um it stops before them which I imagine you're quite relieved about that you didn't have to deal with that um but did you have a a sense of the kind of overall um arc of their of their stories
4: yes I was always working around uh the year and the seasons that was always my thing and the one thing I knew from the beginning I was going to follow a year and the seasons um I think there is two things in there I personally relate to the seasons a lot and I was really interested to see of that kind of dynamic and how almost the value of morale seems to change as the seasons change in, our, in life in general and in our society um, and also I think there was a very kind of I am debuting and writing my first long form um, piece of writing and having having those that sense of I'm working towards something in around a year time made it quite um easier for me to conceptualize and also it was reassuring I knew where I was going in that sense.
2: I wanted to ask you about your kind of choices for point of view because you handle it in a really interesting way sometimes moving kind of from third person to first and also using these kind of sections that are italicized that are Um, in the first person. I was wondering kind of how you made those decisions. Did they just kind of feel like a natural switch for you or did you deliberate over them a bit more?
4: Yes, there is a lot of instinct in there and there is um, a conscious decision I made um, because I was really interested in that polyphony actually and just, you know, and, and for it not to be too didactic and for me to dictate it too clearly there was, I was really interesting, as I said earlier, I think it's that idea of the texture of the everyday and how we all see it so differently and the prism for which you will see the same event will be quite determinant on how you're going to retell it next. Um, and that can change over time, that can change with whoever you have around you. And I felt having such a fluidity in point of view was really important to show that without being too intrusive because... As we also just said they are their people and you know i disagree with them most of the time but i disagree with myself most of the time to be honest like you know it's just it's it's constant it's changing and it's in a world that's so, i believe and i i hope it comes across ingrained that just every day and so yeah sometimes it's actually quite mundane and quite futile and you know frivolous tomorrow you will forget about how you felt about that yesterday but you still did. And I do believe that it just stays in you as well. And you just become this kind of tiny little scars. And they can be happy ones. They can be more painful ones. You know, they can become sorrow and they can become joy. But so it's a very unruly answer to say that I wasn't planning it line by line, but I was aware of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that came later in the process was to give actual first person chapter to Sophie and Julia they didn't have it at the very beginning Um, and I'm not sure why actually because now I can't quite see why I wouldn't give them an opportunity to speak for themselves Uh, actually the idea just makes me a bit shaky not not to do it Um, maybe it's just it took me longer to to hear them Mm. Uh, and that's probably the answer actually but Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest thing that didn't come until very later, um, a late stage in the in the process.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: There's a moment in the novel that I don't want to spoil but if you are happy to talk about it, I'll include it. But if anyone wants to, hasn't read The Other Kitchen and wants to go in completely spoiler-free, skip this section. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about um, the moment when Sophie and Claude sleep together and what you kind of wanted to explore between them and, and how that kind of, that moment happens, but also how it changes things between them, but also the kind of group dynamic.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: yeah well for the group dynamic i think that's the easiest uh, answer for me here is that kind of you know looking at the idea of a threesome and that someone will always feel a little bit out of it uh because i think in in some way in our kind of western societies we are so we are so compartmentalized to just do everything in pair everything has to be in pair you know as if you always need to have someone to check on you uh and that's you know your your double, your shadow, making sure you're doing it thing properly, you're conforming, and you have someone there to like hold you accountable. When there is a third person that just switches totally, and there is like that kind of thing that's always itching of patting on your back and being like, you know, there is this other opportunity. Uh, so that was kind of a very literal and quite frankly physical way of doing it, of excluding Julia from that. She did not have any physical encounter. In, in that threesome, she wasn't there. and um, There is also something of Claude and Julia being having that lifelong friendship, which Julia does not have with them. She only met them as an adult. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a way to look at that dynamic in a very literal way. And then in terms of Claude and Sophie, getting them together to actually have sex was a way for me to interrogate how we how we navigate and how we interrogate relationships in our lives. I do, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about friendship and to me, as much as I've been thinking about them, they, they're just love relationship. And somehow one of the things people always say, if you ask them, what is the difference? They will always say, well, I don't sleep with my friends. Mm. Now, like, well, why not? You know, <laughs> I don't want to just be like, they'll be like, okay, but why not? At the end of the day you know, is, is, is a form of love as well. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: It's, it's just showing it in a different ways, but I, I said, my friends, I love you constantly. And so I do to my partner. Um, and I was just really interested to see what happened there and how somehow, you know, you're also often here, once you've had sex is different. And I just yeah. want to understand why and well, they had to do it. Um, and yeah it was it was a way to to go there and to cry to try to interrogate this it's actually the first time someone asked me um blank out what, what I've done it it's really interesting to talk about.
2: <laughs> I guess because people don't want to spoil it but I just was really interested because mm-hmm. um, like you say it, it is kind of pushing that the barrier of friendship um and you know and wondering how it kind of changes things for them um and I think that that makes it so interesting did you know that was always going to happen between them when you started writing
4: yes it's probably the first thing I knew uh that was that was the first thing in my head I knew I knew Claude existed and I know she was about to have sex with her best mate Mm. Uh, that was probably my one-liner in my head when I when I said to write uh i actually started writing a short story about it and then and then she just claude just invaded me and I, she had to become she had to make me write a novel um so it's quite cool to blame that one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's that was actually the first thing that was in my mind
2: i'd love to talk a bit more about your kind of writing career and your interest in writing um and one of the obvious things that I have to ask you about is your experience of writing in a second language because um I mean, like I can't even imagine that kind of as a challenge. And I was interested to know, is there any kind of moments where you're really frustrated because there's a word that exists in French but not in English. So how tell us what it's like to to write a novel in a second
4: language? It's freeing. it's <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's well. You kind of can't get it wrong because you can't get it right anyway like you know it's, it would just never be your mother tongue is so different and and as much as I, re- I resented that for years actually it just you know terrified me but then once i was just like well actually can't go wrong uh, you know i'm here i'm an imposter to be going, how i felt about it let's just let's just do it and that was just amazing uh, and you know there are things I will never be able to to claim, and that's probably that. That's probably that very um, that relationship to vocabulary that you have when it's your when it's your mother tongue, your first language. Um, and and this I will never be able to to have that, but we'll always actually be able to to question language in a very different ways. And I think that way is essential because that's how I learned English on the go by doing things, by meeting people, by cooking. Um, and, and that was quite amazing. Yeah, don't get me wrong, it went with a lot of frustrations and fears and, and they this still out there. You know, I will do some very random double check of grammar and whatever. Um, but it was, also, it was also an amazing experience. And yeah, I don't think I, don't think I could have written that novel in French. Anyways, so I had to write it in English.
2: Have you attempted writing a novel in French? No. No?
4: Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I stopped using the my French language like for a long time ago. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I speak it and I, I can write it. Uh, it's not a problem in everyday, in the everyday life, but I've never considered myself a writer in French. Mm-hmm. um that's something that only came with the English language well that's just so fascinating to me um mm-hmm. and I
2: and I read an interview with you where you said that writing actually about food was the thing that helped you build your confidence when writing in English so can you tell us about kind of your writing life where did where did your love of writing begin I mean I know you said you don't think of yourself as someone who would write in French so but you must have you must love obviously you love literature and, and language and writing so where did it all begin for you
4: mm-hmm. I think it became starting in my head <laughs> I, I was very a very quiet child uh and just had very difficult relationship with language uh in general and quite interestingly I'm a very late reader um you know I have no memory of reading children's books um I just I and there was no books in my house actually. Um, something I started reading very late, like very later on in life. But when I started, that my mind just blew. I was like, oh my god, like you know all these these people, these people, and I yeah maybe it's just because I was so in my head and quite. And I don't I don't like saying lonely child because it made me feel like as if you know I was a bit sad. I don't think I was, but I was just alone in my head. And accidentally there was a lot of people with me in my head that weren't just the product of my own imagination. Um, and I was just amazing. And I started reading a lot, a lot, and a lot. Um, and then when I came, when I came to to the UK, I had this amazing privilege of learning a language as an adult. And it just gives you a whole new opportunity of like getting a whole new lexicon and you're in control of it because you know who you are and learning a language when you know who you are is just it's just amazing because the grammar just becomes so much more personal and central and it just allows you to go in new places and I don't know I just I it really I think it was a really big breakthrough for me to be given this opportunity first because I had felt so bad about my relationship with French and the fact that I always felt as much as I failed actually to be to be good and to be eloquent and to be a good writer and reader in French I felt it was my time to do it now on my ground at my rhythm and the way I wanted to do it and and it actually just transpired in the midi- me writing um, and I just can't imagine my life without writing even on fiction
2: and was The Yellow Kitchen your kind of first attempt at writing a novel or had you I mean, like you said you kind of thought about writing bits of it as a short story. But how do you kind of play around with the idea of writing a novel before that? Um it,
4: in my dreams, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never thought I would be able to do it. I I was writing a lot of, I went through a year of writing a lot of short stories, um, bits and bobs, and always just writing quite a lot of essays and and that kind of things. but yeah, The Yellow Kitchen is really the first time I sat at my desk thinking, "I'm going to try to write, to write a novel now. It's going to happen." And what was your process like to get an agent? Um,
2: because I know you work in the industry um, already. I will speak about that in a, in a second. But what was your kind of what was your experience like of getting an agent and then going on submission with this novel?
4: Um. So I. It was actually a really happy start because I found Kirsty very, very fast. Uh, she was really, really quick at, at responding to me, which, for my nerves, was the best thing. Um, but I went through, I went through the process of just looking online at every single agents, and when I started with the offers, I could relate to, and I really enjoyed their work. And then I started to look at who represent them, and then I look at those agents, and I went through that, and I just, you know. I know it's really is there is any kind of writers who are queering right now out there listening. I know it's it's so harrowing and stressful, and I think starting with people who represent authors you really value and you write and re- and relate to is a really comforting way of doing it because you know if if they found a way to work with those people, then you probably can as well. Um, and I think I always saw that kind of agent relationship as having someone I can work with. Maybe it's a bit skeptical of me, and you know, but I wasn't looking for a friend. I wasn't looking for for that type of relationship. I was really looking for someone with whom I can I can work uh, and with whom I can trust to speak about my writing. Um And you know it's really important to get on and to find someone you feel compatible with. In terms of character and everything, but I was really looking for that kind of very crooks. The crooks for me, were that some with whom mm. I can work and I can trust. um So I started that way, and I just submitted to a few people, and and yeah, I sent sample chapters to Kirsty, and she responded within a few days to me. So it was love at first sight, even though I just <laughs> working relationship.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've spoken to so many people, and and so many of us have had that experience where. Um, finding an agent is like dating where you've got to find your kind of perfect match and um, have that kind of rapport from them and I think a lot of the time it is that gut feeling and to reference what you said about finding other authors that you think your work is either similar to or thematically kind of fits together always look in the acknowledgements because agent is normally the first person that that author will thank so if you're not sure who that person's agent is always go to the acknowledgements and then you can kind of start from there so, how long was it then between signing with your agent to your book deal?
4: Um, three months, I think. Wow! Oh, like. Wow! That yeah. is quick. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a it was a very quick few months, <laughs> uh, and it, we were in full lockdown because it was October 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never met Kirsty in person. We had a a lot of phone calls and stuff like that uh, and then it all happened again for you know via home then I I never met my editor for months and it was just you know I it all happened in a in a bubble Um, mm. that was that was really odd but but yes it was in that time for me in terms of pace and time it was it was a really happy story and I'm really grateful for that
2: yeah it's always nice and when it has a kind of quick resolution as well I think um, it's a it's a very nerve-wracking time and if you're waiting months and months it could be a pretty horrible experience but it's nice that it kind of happened quickly for you so tell us a little bit about your day job because you work as a translation rights agent so what has it been like for you to be on the other side of the process as an author has it made you kind of think of your job differently I don't know what's been like for you
4: mm-hmm. um it's it's been an experience um I This is going to sound odd because I don't think anyone wants to feel about this time as a happy time. But I felt lucky it happened during lockdown because it really helped me to remove myself a little bit more from having that dual uh, experience. And from the get go, I just made a very clear promise with myself when I write, when it's about that. I don't work in publishing. I don't I don't have that knowledge. I don't know how it works. And then when I agent, I agent, I don't think about my writing. And I think it's the only way for me to do it healthily. I could probably benefit from both sides if I was a bit more fluid and like exchanging knowledge. But I just can't. I, I have to compartmentalize otherwise. I'm not saying I did it successfully all the time, but I'm really consciously trying to do it because otherwise it's just it's too much it's too many books it's too much stress from other people me everyone it's, it's too much and I just can't do anything well if I do that so I've had to be quite strict with myself and even you know when talking with my agent and all of it I always say just think I I don't know I just don't know mm. uh, that's really important uh, for me to do it that way um but, yes, otherwise, i do I do work as a foreign agency, but I work on the translation side. so I work with um i w- I represent writers who write mainly in English and send their rights. so they can be translated around the world. Um so in that sense, though, I did have a distance. I actually know very little about the u k publishing industry, even though I'm ingrained in it. Mm. I my knowledge is much I know much more about the French, the Italian publishing industry that I do about the the u k one in the end. So that helped us with a little bit. So it didn't kind of take away your, I guess,
2: anxiety of the, the process because that was still slightly unfamiliar to you.
4: Mm. You know, yes, I mean... I think he allowed me to rationalize a lot of things, and I think I think the biggest problem about publishing is silence, because mm. everyone is so overworked, and 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 also like a project will take a lot of time, right? If you think about when you when you sign your contract for your book, and then by the time it's out, two years have passed. It's yeah. a very long time. So your editor is not going to be talking to you all the time. Most of the time, actually, nothing happens, and then suddenly, in three weeks, it's bang, 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 bang. You have to re-deliver, Something is going on, and you know. And what's really hard is the, the silence in between. I, can, I and I can feel that. Here, that's I think that's probably my biggest luck. I knew I was being silent most of the time, and and I could rationalize and you know not make it about me and it being personal you know people weren't ignoring Margot the offer. no they were just <laughs> living alive and it's fine um so yes it did allow me though, to have a bit of a calmer approach of the overall process because I kind of I knew I knew how it works you know I, I know how the, the book becomes that hardback at the end you be holding in your hands mm-hmm. um but they didn't take away any of the kind of you know that personal you know how somehow when it comes to your writing everything becomes so I mean at least for me like really narrow and and personal you know this this these days it's it's still very very much scary. (laughs) So that's one thing
2: you I guess you you learn in the process but is there anything else you've learned during publication that you wish you'd known like way back when even before you started writing The Other Kitchen if there's anything that you think oh I wish I'd known that would have made my experience easier or
4: calmer. What what would it be? Yeah, gosh, pretty much everything. But at the same <laughs> time, I wish I I still wish I knew nothing because I don't think I would have written the book otherwise. Like really? Yeah, I think it was good not to know, and it was nice actually to be a bit naive mm-hmm. uh, uh, and to think, oh, it's going to come together. You know, it's going to be fine. Uh, that was nice. That was I I really enjoyed that. Um, at least for a first novel I think though it's really important to go away and think about how did you write that novel how did you edit it I think that's probably the biggest thing for me was having that experience of editorial with someone uh, and try to take something away from that um, approaching like other pieces of work now and um, I think that's how you go away from you know just passing from book one to book two or other works or mm. something like that so um, yeah so I took away a lot I think in terms of you know progress and longer term and trying to to approach uh, the next step and it not just being the same again uh, but I'm glad I knew little
2: <laughs> so finally can you tell us about this book two this new thing that you're working on at the moment
4: uh yes uh well <laughs> i i am working on something and i'm editing it now um and i'm actually really excited about which is really nice uh i'm at that phase where i'm getting to to know my people in there and it's really lovely because i miss having those little friends of my own um <laughs> uh, so it, it's really fun and i i hope i can announce something fairly shortly but it should happen again
2: well, have you been texting yourself messages from your characters again? a lot
4: um a lot of texting a love of writing a letter at some point, you know those kind of things, but it's it's good it's good love to it. hear. I think
2: I think this is gonna be a little technique that other people are gonna steal now and our phones are gonna be full of these weird messages that are not in our own voice, and that should be really fun <laughs>
4: yes, um the notes app as well work really well and um, yes. this kind of thing so
2: yeah my my notes app is is full it's just absolutely full of and sometimes I don't know about you but I'll scroll back and I'm like I don't even understand what this means but it must have been important at one point
4: <laughs> yes uh, between this and random password I should not save in there it's a <laughs> it's a great place to be
2: well Margot thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today
4: oh thank you so much for
2: having me that was margot villeron talking about her literary novel the yellow kitchen which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the confessions of a debut novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org which i've linked down below in the show notes if you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop and if you can I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time!